The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Gizmos, our recommended game of the week, discuss whether games for high schoolers need to be complex in the school of gaming, and wrap it up with our high five Spiel des Jahres games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, Dr. Michael McCabe. Doing okay over there, Doug? I'm good. We're dealing with some technicalities here. We're trying to... Technicalities? There's always technicalities. Did you mean to say technical issues? Technical equipment. We are yeah. working with equipment. We're trying to get some video going, maybe getting our high fives put up on YouTube. Yeah. We're in the experimental phase right now. That's maybe right. Maybe you'll see it. Maybe you won't. Who knows? Either what... way, it's all learning and it's fun, right? Exactly. What have you been up to, Michael? Well, last week, I didn't just record one podcast, but had the pleasure of recording back-to-back podcasts on the same day. We were able to join Anitra and Andrew over at the Family Gamers. That was that was a blast. I just had a lot of fun recording that with them and with you. Yeah, I was on that, too. Yeah, yeah what'd you think? Good. No, it was fun. It was very fun. It was a... Uh, I got a chance to listen to it. I think it came out on Monday. Yep. So, uh, great little episode, uh, in my humble opinion. <laughs> Oh, it was awesome. So, so check that out. It's um, great to meet new people. Yeah, you know, exactly. We, we've talked about how welcoming the hobby is. Uh, I do have to make a confession, Doug. My family very recently caught a bug. It's the same bug that you had Uh-oh. about a month, month and a half ago. It was the Micro Macro Crime City bug. Oh, okay. So, I, thought, I thought you were talking about a head cold we got, that wouldn't leave. No, no, no. Well, this was better and worse in some instances. We got the map out for Crime City last night, uh, and it was a whole family affair. So I concur this game plays best at two with okay. our family because yeah. there was some fighting and some squabbling. And I just said to my wife, I'm taking out. This is not how I want to play games. I'm not here to yeah. do any conflict mediation. And then when I tagged back in a few minutes later... My six-year-old, unfortunately, got very, very scared. So we did find out that there is a cutoff. You know, although six we just— Six might be six it. Six might be <laughs> it because she she does scare easily. And so in Micro, Macro Crime City, our recommended game of the week from— Was that just two weeks ago, episode 58-ish, I, I, so, yeah. I believe? If only we had a computer here to check uh, out. Or two or three. If that was possible. Um, in that game, there's a wonderful little rating system of smiley face, meh face, and kind of uh, eye badge covered face. Yeah, eye patch face. Eye patch face. And um, Eliza got really spooked out to the point where she was running into the room in the middle of the night. So I just wanted to bring that to our listeners' attention. Now, here's the other side of it. <laughs> Had I been at the table, I think I would have been able to prevent some of that. But my wife and my eldest child, that is, not my eldest wife, were so <laughs> engrossed in the game that they didn't even care. Like, oh, Eliza, you'll be okay. You're tough. You'll figure it out. I walked into the room when they were mid-case, and I could just see the panic. And I was like, come on, come on. You got to come with me. You're, you're, 
So it's truly a great game. But I think, you know, we talked about nine and 10 year olds being fine. And I, uh, my nine year old is fine. Yeah. My six year old, not fine. Yeah, that's a little bit of an Hopefully issue. Hopefully it's just a one day issue and, so did and they the have, nightmares don't continue. Did they have the issue when one of your kids has a very large head and they're all bumping in trying to look at the same spot? Yeah, th- this was an instance though where our round table that's covered in different layers of maple syrup and um, is it beef suet or beef tallow came in handy because the round table doesn't allow people to lunge into there you the go. table. But okay. anyways, that that was our big game of the week that that we played just last night, and boy, did the family absolutely love it. And I felt bad. It is one of those things where. Um, content does matter so there was such a thing as too young on that one all right well did you acquire anything this week i did i don't know if i'm gonna bring it up because you'll make fun of me i actually got savannah park in the mail i can't remember if i shared that last week or not okay and that's where you know that a recommended game is great because we've already recommended it but I, i picked that up uh, and two of my kiddos right away were really excited to see it. You know, Margaret, she said that this looks awesome, and, and it's right in my animal lover um, Josie's uh, wheelhouse as well. And then Boone Lake is another one, but yep. probably won't make the recommended list. Yeah, it's you a talked, about, heavy. We talked about that yeah. one last week for yeah. sure. Um, okay. So then, no, a week without acquiring games. I, I deserve a high five for that. There you Doug. go. There we Way go. to save money. I sold some games. There you go. Way yep. to make money. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I acquired a new one called Freedom the Underground Railroad. I can't wait to play that, man. So that was published in 2012, and it deals with the Underground Railroad. So sensitive subject matter, but it's by Academy Games, who is... Uh, I don't want to say they make educational games, but they make games that are based and set in history. Yeah, historic um, games. Yeah, there you go, historic games. And so I'm very interested to get this one to the table. It's a cooperative yeah. game uh, set in the Civil War period. and Which and, I was glad free. to see. You know, when, when I first saw the game and the box art, and then when I watched the review on the Dice Tower Network, uh, Z Garcia did a re- No, Tom Basil did a review. And to, when I heard it's cooperative, then I was like, okay, I see how yeah, this that, works. Yeah, that would be pretty tricky, a competitive game about slave trade. I'm not sure how that would work no, out. No, but I, I think the the topic can just – think of the discussions that can happen at a middle school, high school level within a family household, especially depending on the part of the United States that you live or if you're not from the United States. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing that game. Yeah. I'm looking forward to hopefully talking more about that game in the future. Yeah, and from what I understand, it's one of those that gives, it puts you in uncomfortable situations, you know, which is not unlike the the times, right? And I'm in, I'm very intrigued by that of of putting myself in those shoes and playing the game. And I I I think the length on it is like an hour to two hours, maybe it says. Oh yikes. I didn't um, realize it was that long. So we'll see how it plays. But So I don't know if it would go into a recommended game, but certainly something that I'd like to talk about. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you pick it up? The Big A. The Big A. Uh, okay. had, had a deal on it. So um, Amazon to our listeners? Yeah. Okay. So I want to... It, it might be something we talk about in the school of gaming on how yeah. they handle that compared to to other games we've played in the past. Even though it's not a recommend ga- recommended game, I think it's something that's worth talking about. Well, and some board games do cover very uh, difficult, controversial, hot-button topics 
And if you are facilitating game schooling with other people's kids, that's something that we've talked about at length in the past. So I look forward to playing that game and hopefully unpacking it more as well. All right. Uh, and I actually, I got a ton of games played this week. Oh, do tell, do which tell. Which is uh, quite an anomaly. After we did that, uh, the top five games, from the high five, top ten, actually, of games from 2017, I had such an itching to play Sagrada. Oh, that's great. Which was my Who'd number one game. With? I played it with my oldest daughter. Awesome. Who was not interested in playing it at first. And then mainly because she saw the time on the box. And I'm like, well, that's for full player count. It's not going to take an hour, yeah. hour long. And then she played it and really liked it. Uh, and then we played a three-player game with my wife and, and my oldest daughter. And that's awesome, seemed to go Doug. over very well. So... That was that's a good one. I just love that puzzle in the ga- that game. Yeah, such a good feeling too when other other gamers pick up the game and enjoy it, right? Yeah, yeah. So then we good. play. I played Similo with my middle, well, my two daughters, my two oldest daughters, and we played that one with the animals, and we were using the fairy tale. Yeah, to give clues, the, okay. the fables one to give clues. So you shuffle whole, those two decks together? No, you actually use them separately. Okay. So the animals go out, were out on the table to guess from, but the clues were coming from the fable yeah. deck. Yeah. So you're saying, okay, it's not like Captain Hook. It's like, what yeah. does that mean? Which was a really unique, fun way to play it, and I, I enjoyed it. I, I'd love to do that with some of the other sets and mix them together. Played Dragon's Breath, which I think we've talked about in the past. It's yeah, I haven't a, played that. A Haba game with with jewels and a, a stack of essentially like shower curtain rings that you put gems in, and then you you each take turns being the dragon and melting the top layer off, and you're predicting which gems are going to fall off. Do you breathe when it hot melts. fire? To I melt do. Them yes. Off? Yes. Um, and then we played uh, some animal upon animal. I played oh, with my youngest daughter. Look at you! She loves that. And you then we that. played another game from Brain Games called Woohoo, which is how is that one? That is my um, whatever below sleeping queens is. That is all you're doing. It's a very. This is for like three to four year old kids. Yeah, where I love sleeping queens. So don't come at my sleeping queens. No, dog. what was that other one that that your that Eliza was always oh, playing? Uh, not Dragonwood. Uh, like a Mickey one or Olaf's. Oh, Olaf's Ice Adventure. Oh, yeah, Olaf <laughs> Trouble. That that was Trouble. That's okay. a bad one. We so, should move on before the, our listeners <laughs> stop being our listeners. The, this one is a you're rolling a dice, moving your character up steps. Eventually, they go down a slide. And land in a pit of toys. The kids get to pick out toys. So it's more about counting one to three. Um, not a real brain burner, yeah. I would say. I'm waiting for Gloomhaven or, or a brain burner. Yeah, no, we play. I played Gloomhaven with with the four year old. The four year old. Yeah, she played an orc. Um, <laughs> no, so that was it. Was a busy week for me. That's good. Happy to get stuff to the game or to the table. So uh, before we move on to the recommended game. If you have any questions, comments, things you want to talk to us about, just a reminder, reach out to us at gameschooler. email at gameschooler.com uh, with questions, comments. We also have a, a contact form on the website, www.gameschooler.com. Say that again? www.gameschooler.com. <laughs> okay. And I have two more things in the oh, opening sure. segment. Two more. Uh, one. I listened to episode 750 of the Dice Tower today, the very last episode. 
and I have now made it a, um, a personal mission to listen to every podcast in the Dice Tower Network. So just very appreciative to be a part of that network and want to give a, a shout out and thank you to Tom and Eric and the whole crew. Mandy and Suzanne, congratulations. Um, so th- that that comes to an end, but good news from that. Spoiler alert, Doug, in case you haven't heard it yet, the Dice Tower Network is going to continue. So All right, so we're, good not, news. we're not getting cut no, from the air? No, our podcasts are still going <laughs> out there. And then the second thing, I meant to put this in with the story. So on the way over here, I had basketball practice for at least, well, hopefully one more week. Um, so went from work to basketball practice and checking in at home. And I always do that, leaving the gym, calling my wife, because this is really my only time to connect with my wife on podcast days. I said, hey, Em, how you doing? Uh, we're in the middle of playing a game. I said, what? Yeah. We're doing micro macro. I said, okay, okay, I'll, I'll talk to you later. I love you. Goodbye. So when I said we caught the bug, she and Josie were solving puzzles. And I, I sent a text right before we started. They got two done. So apparently they got home from work and school and set everything down and got the big map out. And well, went good right thing to you got the so, second game to, that they can yeah, work through. Yeah, it just is, it's, it's such a wonderful hobby for families and kids. So that's all. All right, well, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. Recommended Game of the Week. The Recommended Game of the Week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Gizmos by CMN. <laughs> I tried to be cute there. By CMON. Go ahead. Or uh, come on. Or come on. It changes every week. I think the current iteration can, is well, come on. That's what I was saying for the first year of the podcast. And that, it wasn't that then. <laughs> and that's what it was when we went to the convention a while back. Okay, bye. I know. They, cha- they keep changing it. Doug, give us a stats All while right. I catch Pub- my breath over here. Huh? Published in 2018, the designer is Phil Walker Harding. You Who? May have, yeah, you may have heard him around. Uh, the art is by uh, a lot of people. I don't, some of these games, they got like 12 the, artists. The art is by a design team. Yeah. So two to four players, 45 to 50 minutes. Uh, 14 and up is the age on the side of the box. The Board Game Geek says 8 and up, which is probably closer to true. It was a 2019 Mensa Select winner. According to the publisher, the smartest minds of our generation are gathering together at the greatest great science fair. Everyone's been working hard on their creations, but only one will be crowned champion. Contestants have to think on the fly to build their machines quickly and efficiently. Whose project will be the best? Mine. Yeah, in Gizmos, you win the game by gaining victory points from building engines, and engines help you get things done faster. Whoever builds builds the greatest machine and collects the most victory points wins. Machines give you victory points and allow you to do more actions when conditions are met. As you build, new attachments can trigger chain reactions, letting you do even more on your turn. So on your turn, you have four actions that you can take. You can file, which is putting a card from the public area into your archive, which allows you to build that gizmo later. You can pick one energy marble from the 3D marble dispenser to add to your storage. Those marbles are what you use to build the gizmos. You can take a build action, which you can build one machine or gizmo and put it into action. You have to pay the marbles with colors corresponding to the card cost. So you're using your marbles to build. And the last thing you can do is you can research, which allows you to draw cards uh, from the decks 
to uh, gizmo cards, and you can either file one or build one of the cards that you draw. And you also have these two areas where you can upgrade your, uh, your whole contraption, which allows you to store more marbles. You can file more gizmos and uh, research better. The other thing you can do is you can add converters, which allows you to turn marbles to different colors um, or multiply them, that type of thing. But each time you, as you build these machines and attach the new gizmos to your machine, you get bonus Bonuses, actions depending on what you off. do. So if I pick a blue one, a blue marble, maybe that allows me to pick another marble, or maybe I can turn a marble into um, a different color. Or if I build a red gizmo, it allows me to gain a victory point. All those type of things is chain reactions that are really the crux of the game. Am I missing anything? I think that's kind of the the brief overview of everything, right? Yeah, that's a really good overview. I think what's different from Gizmos and some of the other Phil Walker-Harding games that we've talked about, there is a serious toy factor to this game that comes through when you're drawing marbles out. Uh, I don't want to say a la Potion Explosion, but similar to another game that has made a recommended game of the week list. Yeah. And then the card completion aspect just sets off those wonderful chains. Yeah. I mean, when we've played, each of us have had a turn where it almost feels like you get four turns in once. Yeah, and, it and ramps I, up pretty nicely. Yeah, that that I, that's just one thing that I think is missing from some of the publisher copy. That's yeah, one of the things that, and that's one of the, the things that, that I wrote down that I liked, which is I love the tactile nature of the game. That they use this marble, the marbles, and they have this dispenser, this chute that there's a row that you can pick from. It almost looks like a gumball machine type of thing. And this could have been done with cubes. It could have been done with any other. You know, there's so many other ways that games have implemented this type of a system. Like there could have just been a row of cards out that had the different types of energy on it. Um the fact that they use the marbles and the way that it works and they sit in your little ring to contain them, I, I really appreciate that. Well, and how the game forces you to buy those cards and defile the cards that are at the level one first. It, yeah. It's almost like we are forcing you to build up. The designer is forcing you to build up your your chain so that the game will be more fun. Whereas some games you can jump ahead to that level two or jump ahead to that level three, but then you don't get all the bonuses. I really yeah. like how once you get four or five of those level one cards in your, what, what is it, in your machine? Yeah. Is that yeah. what it is? At, that all of a sudden each turn you're able to do things, which then allow you to get those level two and level three cards, which are the higher point values. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because it's laid out, the way that it's laid out on the board, there are, it's almost like a pyramid. There are four level one cards, three level two cards, and two level three cards at the top. And that kind of symbolizes the way that the game ramps up. I like that. You're going to get a lot of those level one cards, and you're trying to get them to synergize with each other. And the the better you do that, the the faster you can build up and, and climb to the top of that mountain. Yeah. Interestingly enough, you know, board, and I'm not trying to hop around too much, but in doing research for this, the game recommends 14 plus, and it has that Mensa Select. Thanks for getting it into your organization, Doug. Appreciate that. Uh, but the board game geek community says it's eight plus, so you don't usually see that level of discrepancy in the games that we recommend. Oftentimes, it'll be a 
well, the game maker said 12 plus, but and, and, and do you I'm, think it has to do with the toys? Is I, that where you're I going? Think okay, is. I think it is. Tell our listeners about that. We've talked about this a handful of times. I think but. it has to do with the marbles in there and that technically they would be a choking hazard. So in order to put that it's available for 8 or 10-year-olds, you then have to go through additional toy testing that most game manufacturers don't want to go through. Okay. So by putting Why? that it's Because for, of cost and it's the cost. time? Yeah, okay. it's cost. Okay. Um, to, to add that to say, oh, it's okay for an eight-year-old to play this, in order to do that, you need to make sure that the marbles aren't choking hazards, that they're not made out of bad okay. uh, toxic materials or any of that type of stuff. So here's the road I'm taking you down. What do episode 19, 29, and 31 of the Game Schooler podcast all have in common? My guess is going to be Phil Walker Harding. They are games that have made the recommended game of the week list designed by Phil Walker Harding. Okay, Sushi Go, Silver and Gold, Summer Camp. None of those games are 14-year-old plus. They're all around that 8, 9, 10-year-old range. And I would contend and I would agree with the Board Game Geek community that if you have a skillful practitioner, a gamer, an enthusiast, somebody who's able to teach the game and help people at the table along the way, you could absolutely play this with third, fourth graders, eight, nine, ten year olds. Absolutely. Yeah. At the same time, it has some wonderful programming mechanics that fit in nicely in that after school program, game schooling lab, anything that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, would you have wanted to play this game in eighth grade, ninth grade, if this would have hit the table when you've been excited? Oh, yeah. 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 I, it's funny, I put down on what I liked is that I put Phil Walker Harding down as one of my bullet points yeah, is what I like. And and I'm sure people are going to think we have a complex, but he just manages to make games that scale well for the entire family. You know, I laid out all of the rules in that brief overview. There are yeah. four things that you can do on your turn, and that's it. And giving people simple choices and the and the 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 complexity comes from the variability of it and what choice you're actually making but you're not getting bogged down on all of the okay i got to do this and that then this and that for a single basic turn yeah you're thinking, similar. I'm, I'm going to just pick this i'm going to do this those that cleanliness of design that that he seems to have in his games lends itself to game schooling and family gaming in a way that a lot of to learn yeah easy to set up awesome turns yeah awesome turns at the very beginning that middle ramp up at the end you can feel the end is coming Mm -hmm. and i think all of those games have that all of all those four games that we've recommended have that in different ways um, yeah, no, that's good. What else do you like about the game, Doug? I love the chain reactions. You know, you talked about having that those big turns. And if you're building your engine right, there's going to be several times during the game where you can chain two or three, like where I've, I get to pick this. Well, that allows me to do that. And then this allows me to do that. And you do four or five things on top of each other yeah. that just really, it's just a very satisfying turn when you pull that off. Yeah. Um, and I just really love that. I love engine building, first of all. And I love, you know, we'll get into the skills later, but this set of skills is really in my wheelhouse of what I like. And I think kids can get a lot out of it, especially when they're not bogged down with theme and extra rules. Right. You can get right into the matter 
here are the four things you can do. Yeah. Try one and, of the four. And so your skills are going up as you're playing it. And I, I feel like this is one of those games that you can play it, you'll do decent. The second time you play it, you're going to get better. Yes. The third time, you're I going can, to get better. I can vouch for that. You know, and if, if that's part of, of education and seeing kids grow, that's going to happen in this game over multiple plays. Well, and I'm, I'm going to – something that I have down in my notes, I'm just going to splice a little bit away from, from what you said, but the bonuses. Mm-hmm. I love the bonuses in this game, and I think even just thinking about – Okay, how does this bonus work? I get this on the build. I there's a converter bonus, but but that's also one of the pieces where I could not let just four or five, eight, nine, or ten year olds just go and play because there's a lot of iconography. There are a lot of yeah. different bonuses yeah. to have to figure out. Just just a, a note, a note of caution. I think this is a game that would play really well at one of those kidney tables, if you remember those from back in the day, Doug. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those weren't invented then. Where where you have uh, an adult playing the role of facilitator in the middle of the table and helping. Even even at the um, middle school, high school, I I ask you when we play this game, tell me again what this means. And I I have the full rule book looking at me, but there's a a little bit of memory and recall in this one that's not in... A lot of the other games that we've recommended. Yeah, that's the only thing that I had for concerns is is they go hand in hand. One of them is there is symbols in this game yeah. that you need to understand, and once and you I get love the, it. once you get the hang of it, it's not a big deal. Um, and like I said, I think that uh, limits that younger age without guidance. The other thing is it can be hard to keep track of what the other players are doing yeah. and all of the other players' bonuses. So that's something to be aware of that. I think if you are playing this with kiddos, that a an adult facilitator is really good. How to could kind you keep track of other people's bonuses? No, no that, and I so mean, I think you. I think having an adult there saying, "Okay, let's go through and see what you can do here to maximize those bonuses uh, and those chain reactions as they happen," is going to be an important part. Yeah. The younger kids you're playing with. Two other just things to note. For, from a game schooling standpoint, time, it really pushes the limit from a game that we would recommend. The box says 40 to 50 minutes. That's about right. And if you get to the higher player count, if you're in that three to four players, it's going to take all of that. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Be, there time can be some processing time. Absolutely. There, there should one, be. Once it gets, once you get, you know, halfway it, into, into the, the game, game, there's going to be that, that processing time ramps up. And then the second one, if I were, if I woke up tomorrow and if I was running a game school lab, oh my gosh, that would be an awesome job. Oh, yeah, I'd teach again for that. This is a game, I'm not saying it would be locked in a cabinet, but this is a game that would need to live on my desk because of the marbles and things like that. You have, <laughs> There's a level of responsibility that yeah. goes into playing a game like this. So that's just the other caveat. It is beautiful. It's a beautiful production. I mean, you look at the box, you open up the box, it has a wow factor every step along the way. But it is one where if you get a couple of mouth breathers and knuckleheads, they're just going to be flicking marbles across the table and stuff's yeah. going to come up missing. So you need to be able to trust trust your gamers and might want to develop some sort of inventory when you're handing this one out. Yeah, I lo- and you know the and other you- thing too is I mentioned that there's some processing time. That's on a couple turns. But for by and large, this almost has a little bit of that uh, Century Spice Road yep. feel, where it's boom, 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 boom. Because especially in oh, the is early, oh, my turn. It's yeah, back in, to my in turn. In the early game, yeah. those turns 
are very quick and fast and uh, so I think it moves along at a great pace. Because you're filing a card or you're picking a marble. Yeah. It's not until you start to feel the tension of, ooh, I have three really good options, but what's my best option? And yeah. what are the opponents going to do so that – because I might not be able to get to do that. I might yeah. not be able to get to file that card because I think Doug is saving up to build that card. Yeah. So every week, Michael and I take a look at the skills that your kids can get from playing a game just like this. Nothing else. All you got to do is play the game. Your kids are going to be pulling skills out of this game. Uh, and so we each pick allegedly. out. Allegedly. Well, well, we'll make our case. We'll let you, the viewer or listener, decide. Nobody's um, watching us, Doug. Just keep going. No, there's a guy in that other room over there. Ah! <laughs> um, so let's talk about some skills. What's your what core skill do you pull out? Processing information, a game in which students must examine or analyze information. They're I'm going to call them tracks, even though they're not tracks. But when a card is completed, either when you build it out of your archive where you filed it or right out of the marketplace. What's the technical term for that? Is it the marketplace? I have no the idea. Place where there's a th- the four three two. When you build a card, it gets placed into one of those four different um, tracks and being able to process how that works so that you don't just have red cards but then have yellow bonuses. There, There's a whole lot to sort out yep. within the game. There are puzzles within the puzzle that aren't overly complex. I mean, the complexity of the game is is at two out of five, It's, but, but there's enough to process to keep track of. Sure. And that is definitely a core skill that I, I see um, in this game. All right, my core skill is comprehension. Uh, I think this one is is a great one for this game, a game that requires players to perceive and understand concepts, ideas, and functions. Basically, how the game works, the rules, and mechanisms. So not only is there, you know, all that moving, you know, thinking of a machine, all of the moving parts in this game, which makes it sound like it's more complex than it is, but there is a symbology and understanding that, what does that symbol mean? What does this symbol mean? How exactly does that work? How exactly do I and chain points. these things together? And points. There's and comprehension points, yeah. in the math as well. I mean, cards that, that you build are worth points. So, so. I think, I, and I think those two skills go uh, in tandem with each other. Mm-hmm. You need to process the information to comprehend it, uh, which is, I think, the final result on that. Yeah. Uh, another skill I have, which I think feeds into that. The production of the game is the logistics, a game that allows students to manage production flow between the point of origin and consumption. So as you're picking something and you're firing off different parts of your machine, these that keeps popping up. It's like, how do I get this? How, is yeah. there a way for me to build that gizmo with what I have or what kind of process do I need to follow through to see that to completion? Use my converters you know, and, and all my special benefits to get that. I have that together. as well, and I want to jump off on that and go into tactical thinking, a game yep. that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. As I see that you are trying to get – we call them marbles, but the marbles are energy in the game, yep. right? If I see, oh, Doug is really trying to collect yellow energy, the yellow marbles, and one what? comes down the chute and it's my turn to pick – well, I don't need a yellow, but you know what? I don't want him to be able to complete the card, so I'm going to grab that yeah. yellow marble. So there's a little bit of tactical. In the, the game that we recently played before recording, there was a card that I didn't necessarily want, 
But in doing the quick math, I could tell if Doug gets that card, I'm going to lose by double digits. So I need to I need to archive that card immediately. Yeah. And that's that little bit of tactical thinking where you can think a turn or two ahead, but the the board changes each turn. So it's very important to be able to to be nimble and maneuver and yeah. do what's right best based on what's right in front of you. Excuse me. And I've got that I've got tactical thinking as well. Uh, but I also put strategic thinking on in so this So did one. I, man. We've got a lot of crossover. Yeah, a game that encourages students to develop a process or long-term strategy or for accomplishing a goal. There are two parts to this where I think strategy comes in. One of them is that two- or three-turn process of, okay, how, how do I need to put all this stuff together? It's, it's more than a one-turn puzzle to figure out sometimes how you're going to make something work. But in addition to that... You need to kind of have an overarching plan of how your machine, as you're building it, how it's going to keep working together with each other, right? You need to yeah. say, okay, I've got a lot of stuff that's... I get bonuses every time I build a yellow card. I need to continue to put some yellow cards yeah. in. Yeah. So like in the last game we played, I had a bonus every time I picked a blue one, a blue uh, energy. And you kept and, getting those blue. And so you take that and it's like, if I've got bonus. four... I had like four cards that lined up that allowed me to pick four more marbles because I picked one blue marble. So yeah. building that little machine out is more of just a one-turn uh, proposition. You need to keep working at it and building at it and making sure that as you add new parts to your machine, they're making sense and working. Yeah, and I'm I'm going with a different skill here, so just hear me out before you give me side-eye, stink-eye, and, and, and hit me in the face here. Dexterity. Spatial perception, a game that strengthens a student's understanding of the spatial relationships with the objects in their environment and themselves. As Doug talked about, the machine that you built with that one blue marble was better. I had the same bonus. I just didn't have other cards. You didn't have the bonus linked. multiplied. I, correct. Yeah. I just had the... Every time I pull one blue marble, I get to pull another at random. Whereas you had the other, I had three more cards, cards exactly like that. To that, yes, and my cards were all based on being able to file cards. So basically, what I'm saying is, when from about the eighth or ninth turn on, and let's just say there's roughly twenty to twenty-five turns in the game. I must be able to read my machine. I must be able to look down and see very clearly there's four, right? Two on yeah. each side. Yeah, four see basic actions. the four basic actions that have the bonuses in them and, and be able to, to process that and move forward. And in both times when I've played, I feel like I'm a little more spread out. Like the person that I'm playing against has a, a tighter machine. Sure. And so it's spatial perception in a different way because it works with the processing information. So, all right, yeah, I'll allow it. Oh, wonderful! Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Warm fuzzies. Yeah, my, ego, <laughs> ego expanded. Uh, my last uh, skill is resource management, a game that boosts a student's capacity to For efficiently sure. and effectively oversee available assets. This comes down to your your gizmos, the gizmos that you have filed that you haven't built yet, and most importantly, the energy marbles that you have stored up and how you spend them. You know how you can convert them into other uh, colors and and multipliers, that type of thing. You need to manage that efficiently because you don't want to waste turns. You know, yeah. sometimes, especially late game, 
drawing one marble and that's your whole turn is a really inefficient turn towards the end of the game. So trying to alleviate that, uh, you can do that by, by resource management. Oh, that's good. So we had eight skills, I think. We had some crossover. Uh, I think we had less. Seven, maybe. Seven skills? Oh, no, you're right. Eight. Yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, wow. the the only other thing before we move on, and then obviously you'll get the last word here, but Gizmos is kind of a hidden gem, isn't it? I know we didn't talk about it before we got to the skills, but we have three different criteria when we we have three different categories when we rank games. We have hidden gem, uh, popular, and blockbuster. I I would put this in the hidden gem category. Where would you put it, Doug? Ah, uh, it's it's interesting, popular, and we talked we or? talked about this a little bit right before we went on the air. Uh, I was just looking up here. So 2018, this was published. When this came out in 2018, if you would ask me then, I would have said it's very popular. Yeah. Um, and that tends to be the trajectory with the the board game industry in general, where the the new stuff, the stuff that just comes out is very hot. Everybody wants it. It's great. And then with 3,000 games coming out a year, stuff just gets um, fizzles out a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And that's where I would put this one is like it's a great game, very popular when it came out, and it just sits in people's collections, you know. So right. it's still a great game, but it just gets overshadowed, overshadowed by the new and shiny every time a new Kickstarter comes out. Every yeah, and time we've talked about that, you know that type of stuff. So I think that's where it, it fits. I don't necessarily. It, you wouldn't it, classify it as a hidden gem. You'd say it's more towards a popular still. And that's the thing is that a, okay. it's a, it if it's a sliding line. scale, then okay. yes, it's okay. closer to the hidden gem at this point. But at one time in its history, yeah, it was uh, a popular would have been at Barnes and Noble. Well, and uh, that I just think the price is great. I mean, the real time price today, February twenty third, uh, two thousand twenty two, is it's thirty one ninety nine at Game Nerds. I, yeah. I think that's a a great price for what you get in the box. And if I'm getting books to bring into a classroom, I mean that's three or four books. Yeah. It, yeah. Do you you have books? You buy books? No, I what are those? Okay. okay. I'm unfamiliar so. with reading. <laughs> All right. So that is uh, Gizmos, our recommended game of the week. We think you should check that one out. It's a fantastic game by Phil Walker Harding and and come on. And uh, let's move on to the School of Gaming. I'm excited for this week's episode or this segment. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing whether games for high schoolers need to be complex. Yeah, I think there's a really interesting topic of the idea of, you know, you and I are reviewing games, looking at games all the time, seeing where they would fit in a classroom, in a family, homeschool situations, all that type of stuff. And in, you know, and we try and space out our games so we're not always talking about games for really young kids yeah. or stuff that really young kids can't play. Like Gloomhaven with a four-year-old. Yeah. Example. So we're, we're trying to have that mixture and it, you know, led to a little bit of a discussion on does a game need to be more complex to be a game for high schoolers? You know, is there is there a dividing line of like, oh, well, they're high schoolers, they can handle more. And to me, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about all of the games that we talk about 
And how many games that, with a younger audience, you're just scratching the surface of the, the complexity or the depth of a game without adding extra rules or extra complexity? You know, think about the, thinking of it like a Zool, for example. Yep. Think of a Zool playing with a 10-year-old or playing with all 18-year-olds. You're going to get very different strategies and understanding of how the mechanisms of the game work without adding anything extra to the game. Well, and there's no, a different side of the board too, yeah, right? No, no extra rules. And so I thought that was a very interesting concept um, to talk about. Is, is Do you think that that's required? Well, I, I think what's required is games for high schoolers must be engaging. Mm-hmm. That the the complexity that could be one of those sliding scale things, and it really matters on the number of games that those high schoolers have played. If they're new to the hobby, it's no different for that fifteen year old than it would be for a twenty, twenty five, thirty year old. There's a little bit of introduction, scaffolding to learn that that gamer shorthand. Yeah, right for for a fifteen, sixteen year old. But the one thing that must be present is the engagement. And that's where if you take a game like Gizmos, it's it's not the most complex game. Yeah. But it, there there's an engagement factor there. And you could see right away a high school kid oh, can see, oh, there's programming going on in here. They could they can make that crosswalk instantly to other classes that they're taking and subjects and things like that as well. Yeah. Um, so that but- that's my critical ingredient is for a high school, it must be engaging. Go ahead. Well, and I think that, you know, you mentioned the idea of scaffolding and skills upon skills just to get into the game. I think that is a deterrent and and unnecessary. The the thing that I was thinking about of, I, I wrote a little list of complex games usually, okay? And here's the thing that gets tricky with, you know, you're introducing these to, to older kids. Complex games usually have more rules but especially they have more rules exceptions, yeah. which are the things that really trip up gamers, which is you can do this all the time except for this one weird circumstance. If this, and you then can, that, yeah. except. Yeah, you always take this except these three times. And the board resets this way except for every other turn. Like all those little complexity things that can make a, a game more in-depth. But for what we're talking about in the game schooling and the family setting – uh, even at a high school level, is is unnecessary. The complex games usually take longer to play. You know, you don't hear of a really complex game that's done in a half hour. Yeah. Because it just, there's no way to fit it in. And that complexity also turns off gamers, you know, or some, some gamers, some players. So if you're just playing in a broad high school class, for example, you start getting too complex, you cut half of the class right out of their interest and that engagement level is going to drop. Well, and the time is a big factor. Just because of the but, but even 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 if the time was great, even if it was a half hour game, if it's too complex, there's too many rules. I mean, I know my wife would just be glazed out and done. She's not going to play it, she's not going to invest. And I think that's a big concern when you're introducing games into the classroom. That, All right. So maybe I'm I'm hijacking the here, but what makes a game complex? I thought I think you gave a great example. Exception rules is one. I'd say when you have time is another, 
uh, inter- if the total length of game is two hours, if you see that, there's a complexity there that you, that's just inherent with the game. Yeah, I, I think. And then it, individual player turn time length, I think, is another thing, right? If it takes you four minutes to take your turn. Yeah, and I think that's going to go in, into the time scale. Okay. I think that's a big qualifier. Um, I think, you know, certainly the BGG board game geek and their their weighting system is going to be an indicator of that. Um, and I think it's one of those. I, I don't have an exact number, but it's like if there's more than five things that I can do on a turn, yeah. it's going to lead to that that complexity. That's you know, or or five, seven part turns where you you do seven different steps every turn. I mean, it's one of those things like you kind of know it when you see it, um, and and maybe some listeners don't. But I think a, a a great guideline is certainly time. You know, if a game says ninety minutes on there, you look at that all the time, don't you're, you? You're invest. You you have to. A, am I going to be able to get get this to the table, even even on a personal level, regardless of game schooling? You know, if it's a four hour game, what kind of yeah. environment am I going to need to be in to play that game? You need, you need a whole day. <sighs> um, so I think <laughs> One that, hour to I set think, up, I think two that's hours a big, to learn it. big qualifier is the time, usually. Um, if it's got a big fat rule book, I think, you know, again, this is not a hard and fast, fast rule, but anything that's more than four or five pages of rules is probably not going to work in a classroom setting, Yeah, in my opinion. And, and five might be generous. Yeah, I, I, because I you, can see exceptions to that, but not many. And, and a lot of the exceptions to that are games that are a part of our pop culture, such as Catan. Yeah. You know, that, that rule book's definitely more than four to five pages, um, but it's become so well-known, and there are so many different tutorials that are out there to teach that. Um, so, And I think a lot of it comes down to, which we talk about all the time on this show, is knowing your audience knowing you know if you've got an after school group that's four or five kids that are coming every week that really know games obviously don't shy away from a more complicated game those are the people that are going to eat it up but if you're a, a chemistry teacher and you think you're going to pull this out for a, a game out for general population that's yeah. two hour you you need to know who your audience is right because you're going to have like i said half the class is just going to glaze over and zone out and you're not going to be engaging with them, which I, is going to be a problem. I think one one comment that we get, multiple, we've had this multiple times over the last year from teachers is, uh, is the game, can I use this in my high school classroom? Can I use this in my middle school classroom? And, and you know, a specific game, I think it was episode 29, but that's off the top of my head, might be wrong. But My Little Scythe is a game that was a recommended game of the week. I think that is a perfect game. For late middle school and high school because of the different pieces that are happening. And you know what? That's a quote-unquote junior game. Yeah. Not terribly complex. It's a junior version of Scythe. Um, so I, I I bring that up because don't let the cover of the box deter you from bringing a great game into high school. Once it gets on the table, it Kids are going to want to play what's engaging. That's where yeah. I keep going back to, to that, that it's not necessarily complexity that makes it worthy for that high school setting. It, it's the engagement and the interaction and, and what actually happens during an individual's turn. Yeah, and I think the if, – if maybe this is simplistic in a way, but the idea of, okay, I've got three daughters. They're all very different ages. They're, they're different ages. 
I would hope they're different yes. ages. Yeah, I have no twins, no triplets. I mean, we got a four, a six, and a ten. They all have very different skill levels of what they can handle in a game. Now imagine going to a high school and you have a, a class of sophomores. They may all technically be the same age, but they all have different skill I'm levels. I'm so and ex- glad you brought that up. And of experience across that group. So it's almost like saying, well, yeah, I've got some that are, are like my 10-year-olds, and I've got some that are like my 4-year-olds. And somehow you've got to find games that you can bridge those two gaps, and those tend to be the ones that are easy to learn. Uh, what does it say? They, they take minutes to, to learn years to master. Yeah. That type yeah. of thing where the depth is in playing it repeatedly. It is discovering all, you know, peeling back all the layers of the game, not necessarily getting clogged down and like, I know exactly how to play every rule of this game. Well, and when MIT built Scratch, right, a program to teach kids and youth how to program, l- low floor, high ceiling, wide walls. Yeah. That that was their design concept. I think about a lot of the games that we talk about, it has that low floor where you can walk right in and play it. But like you talked about, there there's some high-level thinking that can happen, and the, the walls are wide too. And let's let's be honest here. How many high schools right now have game schooling readily available? I mean, we're not talking to a huge market right now in 2022. I think it's yeah. a market that's growing. But if you are an educator, if you do have a programming, a STEM, uh, a, a different type of learning space, or if you're game schooling, reach out to us and talk to us, and we can we can send you a handful of games that we think will work great in your setting and also engage in a conversation to find out, do you have 16 kids? Are they all at a similar level? Are they at very different levels? Do, do you have to do an in, incredible amount of differentiation yeah. within your, your 10th grade classroom? So we would just love to interact with you more on this topic, Doug. I think it's a great one. Uh, I think it's one that we will definitely be revisiting over time too. Yeah. So if you've got those questions, email us at email at gameschooler.com. Contact us at gameschooler.com. We'd love to hear from you. Let's move on. We got some very special winners this week in the high five. So let's jump on over to that. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week we will reveal our high five Spiel de Jaris winners. So these... That's a good one. That's a good one. The These are the German Game of the Year, Board Game of the Year. Deutschland? The games have to be released in German language before they are eligible. <laughs> That's good. Wow. Did you take that in high school? Yeah, Sprechen ein bisschen Deutsch. Okay. Wow. I did Spanish, and I know very little. Uh, <laughs> so these are our high five Spiel des Jahres winners. This is like the highest... Uh, game award for games in the industry, right? The you, Oscars, the, the Oscars, Grammys yeah, of this, board games. The the best picture of the year is the equivalent of this. So, Michael, you want to start it off? What do you got? Number five coming in at number five, two thousand and four. Oh, Alan R. Moon's Ticket to Ride. All right. I don't know if I need to say a whole lot more about Ticket to Ride other than sending our listeners to the exact episode where we played Ticket to Ride. But in 2004, when this game came out, I know 
we, uh, I was very recently married. I might have even still been engaged when we got the game. I, I think we got it as a wedding present, Doug, in all seriousness. But I have that same original version, even though I have other versions. Um, I absolutely love this game in Ticket to Ride. You have, do I need to explain it? Does it no, really I don't think so. Explaining? Go back and listen right. to our episode if you yeah. want a more. Yeah. Uh, episode 24 is when we covered the junior version. Uh, did you find out the episode when we covered this? No, I was looking at something else. Oh, okay. Well, I'm about <laughs> to tell folks right now as I buy a little bit of time. And we have a lot of skill builders. It was episode two, all the way back in episode two. But if you want to listen to it, us talk about it, we also have uh, some skill builders that are out there. They're free. They're downloadable PDFs that go right along with the game, and you can play activities with them. But Alan R. Moon designed a gem, um, yeah, and we have several different versions in our house. Yeah, that might be on my list later. Um my number five is... A little bit of snark to start, huh? Go ahead. Yeah, that's right. I put it on my list at five. Go ahead. Yeah. My uh, number five is Kingdom Builder. This was published in 2011. It was by Donald X. Vaccarino. And did he... Dominion won, right? Dominion won? Correct. Uh, okay. 2008 was Dominion. So he won. <laughs> it's odd that you would have that readily Man, available. I, I know dates. Um so he won for this one, and it, it got a lot of slack, but this fits into that game schooler realm where the turns are very low maintenance, not a lot of complexity. Every turn you're, you have to put buildings down on the one card that you have on that type of terrain. So it's a very simple game rules, but I think there's a lot of depth in there and a lot of very a variety and variability that I've never... Some people get bogged down by the fact that you only have one card that's telling you what to do. That's never bothered me because yeah. there's always different places to, to play it. it. So, what um, year did you say? 2011. That that's one when came the out. game was released. It won in yeah. 2012. And the yeah. only reason why I know that is because I'm staring at the Spiel de Jars page on Board Game Geek. That's okay. good. All right. So, that is my number five. What's your number four? My number four is Dominion. Dominion is the classic deck builder from 2008 at one in 2009. And, Doug, the designer is. Donald X. Vaccarino. Yes, still is. Two to four players, 30 minutes, ages 13 plus. The weight is 2.35 out of five. A game that I love to play with my younger sister. A game that I absolutely cannot stand playing with my brother-in-law because he just runs his mouth and talks smack <laughs> the whole time. But just a fun little game where you are... It's the the, the original deck builder, right? You're trying to make your, your deck better all the time and um, destroy your opponents. So that's my number four is Dominion. Yeah, that's a good one. That is, I don't even know if that made my, no, it is not on my honorable mentions, um, unfortunately. We're talking about the best games of every year that are released, yeah. so there's a, there's and, a lot of them. And we there. limited it to five, yeah. and it so, was a big-time challenge. How many times did I text you throughout the day to try to get a few more on the list? <laughs> and we've kept it to just the Spiel de Jars. Yeah, so. could have been a top ten for sure. My number four is the 2017 uh, Spiel de Jars winners, and that is uh, winner, and that is King Domino from Bruno Catala, and King Domino is a recommended game of ours, I believe. I'll look that up while you tell people about it. Keep going. So King Domino is an interesting. Uh, it's a simple little game, very low weight and complexity, in which you are 
drafting tiles to fill in your little kingdom and they're domino tiles with two different ter- or terrain types on each side and you're trying to match them up and you need to make a five by five grid and you're going to score points by how big those grids are and how many crowns are in that region. And the way that it works is that the tiles come out, but the, or the dominoes have different um, values. So if you take a better value domino, that means that you're going to be picking later in the next round. If you take a low value domino, you're going to pick earlier in the next round. So you're constantly trying to, to balance that of, oh, that's a really good tile, but then I'm going to be picking last next time. So those decisions, I think, are, are what make it. The fact that it's a 25-minute game, very approachable. What's not to like? I, I I love your enthusiasm for this game. It's a great game. It did not make my list. I it was episode twenty seven. So you don't have to look that one okay. up where we I talked will stop. about it. No, I I would reckon. I would guess. I would surmise this is in your top ten of all time games. If you had to make a top ten list, I, just I don't think, think it is actually. No, okay. no and, and part top, of top one thousand. This is one where I <laughs> stop yeah, listening, yeah, folks. Yeah, no, <laughs> this is one where I'm. I tried to go through. A little bit more of a game schooler lens. Yeah, no, with, I, I I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. So, okay. So the fact that this is, I mean, I I love the game, but certainly not one of my personal favorite favorite. Yeah. Games, it, but I think it's just it a is great awesome great game. family game with how approachable it is to such a wide wide age group. Yeah, yeah, and that was episode twenty seven. If you need to go back and listen to the Game Schooler podcast, and we go deep on King Domino. So number three for me is Catan, or Settlers, or Settlers of Catan is the version we have at home. Catan was released in 1995. The designer is Klaus Teuber. Three to four players is what it says on Board Game Geek. I actually like that little expansion that lets you bring in a fifth player. It's a lot of fun. 60 to 120 minutes, 10 plus. The weight is 2.31 out of 5. We have an awesome skill builder for this uh, probability, production probability targeted Mm -hmm. towards 7th graders uh, in the math classroom. Um, But that's enough about us. The The game's awesome. And we talked about this one at length. Doug, do you remember that episode? Uh, That is no. Okay, well, I was prepping for my next one, so I didn't prepare yours. I I know. I thought you were. I could hear you click clacking on the keyboard over there, and usually I have these things um, written out, and I'm sharp and crisp and can tell you exactly what episode this came from. But what do you like about Catan? I know this is one of one of your favorites. So how do you know this is not on my list? All right, well, but it's not. It's not. It's an honorable mention. It's a great game. It's the one that got me in the hobby. I, it bothers me that people hate on it just because it's it's older and it was episode fourteen. Um, but where it's, we talked about it's just this a, one. a great game. Yeah, I why it's on my list and where I think it fits. It's an awesome Friday evening game. It's yeah. one where hey, we've got a few people over. There's more than two people that want to play a game. We don't have four hours to play, but we've got 90 minutes to play. Let's play Catan. Yeah. Sure. Great. Let's yep. play. So, All right. So my number three is, I think, going to be higher on your list, and that is Azul. This is, uh, we talked about this in episode seven. So if you want to go back into the, the podcast and listen to that one, we go in depth. But Azul is published or designed by Michael Kiesling, um, 2018 winner. 
Can you give me the date on that, Michael? Do you 2018 have winter, 2017 is when the game was first published. Yep, 30 to 40 minutes. It's about uh, tiles. You're drafting tiles or, or groups of tiles, and then the ones that you don't pick get uh, pushed into the middle for somebody to eventually maybe take later. And you have to be very um, particular about the tiles that you're grabbing. Otherwise, you're dropping them on the floor, and they're giving you negative points. It's another one of those games that is simple to learn and is rewarding the more times that you play it and you can play it with a wide age group. It's perfect for yeah. families, perfect for you know the, the basic strategy for game schooling. You can um, teach it in 10 minutes. You can play it in a half hour. The weight is 1.76 out yep. of 5, so it's one that you can easily teach to 10, 12-year-olds in a school setting. I think it works great for homeschooling with all the history with the tiles. Yeah, no, that's a good one, Doug. So that is my number three, Azul. Cool. My number two is just one. And we're going to sync up on that one. Good. I also well, have, let, let's rap about it. So just one. Uh, this was a 2018 release. I'm just going to double check and make sure that I have the right date that it won, and then won in 2019. Uh, but just one, th- this, this game gets played in my house an awful lot a ton we absolutely love it um three to seven players 20 minutes ages eight plus which you can go all the way down if if somebody can write letters and and i mean that we because we we did it with our six-year-old when she was four by writing pictures doing pictures and whispering what the word is a lot of ways to modify this game the weight is 1.05 out of five so we've talked about one it being a patty cake or bingo level it's right there designers ludovic rowdy and bruno satur publisher is repost production doug what do you love about this game and why is it your number two no, it's just it's a simple game that a lot of people can play. Was it go up to six or seven? Yeah, seven. Seven players. So you can get it's one of those that's so fun to play, it almost always devolves into an activity. Yeah. Instead of a game, which I don't mind, you know, and you've got people, you know, if you if you're looking at it through a game schooler lens, you're looking at it at the concept of vocabulary. And the the clues and okay, well, comprehension. That maybe, that maybe that word is too complicated. The the crux of the game is that everybody writes down. There's a, a clue that the guesser doesn't know, or a word that the guesser doesn't know. Everybody else is giving clues, a one word clue, except all of the clue givers need to show their clues to each other before they show them to the guesser. But what happens if you have the same clue, Doug? It's gone. You got to eliminate it. So those are all those all go away. So you may have four people giving clues and all of a sudden the guy uh, the person's left with one clue to try and guess this word. And so that, And the clue may be fire, but yeah. the the word may not be related to fire at all. Or yeah, yeah. somebody put down match. Pizza. Pizza, you know, and, and the, the the actual word is pizza, and somebody put fire, hoping that that would lead others to yeah. comprehend. And yeah, so, yeah. so a lot of times people overthink it, and they and somebody doesn't put down the obvious clue. So that that banter that you, happens, and there you know is, what I like about it too is go ahead, I interrupt you. Go no, ahead, go no, ahead. no, that that tension. When you're the yeah. guesser, it's like, ah, I don't want to let everybody down, and I think it's this, and you only get one guess, so. Tell, tell me a game that's more inclusive than just one, because people are not—we're um, not human—we're not, human, uh, not homogenous human beings where everyone thinks the same and has the same personality, right? And just one does such a great job of rotating the roles 
that if somebody is shy and introverted, not that you or I are either of those things, but they get a chance to be in the spotlight and, and be the guesser. Just 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 that one time out of four or five or six. Yeah. But that's what I really like. It, the game is just very inclusive uh, of all different types of gamers and personalities. And not to the point that it's um, overwhelming either. Oh, it's no. over and fast. So even if you have somebody that's very introverted and and is shy and doesn't want to be in those situations, it's not that uncomfortable for that long. It's very doable. Yeah. And, um, and I've talked about this. I mean, I'm a high school basketball coach, and so there's a lot during the season. I'm not home as much as the rest of the year, and we love to play this game because it brings us all together for 20 minutes. Yep. You know, get out of your room, get the devices off. It's after dinner. We don't have a ton of time. It's before homework. We're playing just one. So, all right. So, that, and, and we talked about that in la- at length in episode 21 of the Game Schooler podcast. Hey, Doug, thanks for doing that work. Thanks for not putting that on my plate. All right. What do you got for number one? Number one, you uh, you mentioned in your third spot that's Azul. I, I, Doug was right. He knows I love the game. Uh, 2017 release, 2018 winner, Michael Kiesling, all those things that Doug said. I think why I love Azul, and I've shared about this. I shared about this in episode seven, and then about you know ten weeks after that episode aired. But this is a game I I played with my abuelita, my mother-in-law. Um, you know, we've played a lot of card games, but just it, you can play with non-gamers, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody likes puzzles, if somebody likes to play some Shanghai Rummy or or some some euchre, if they have a little bit of game in them, but maybe they're not into the hobby. Yeah. Uh, Azul is a, a great, and I don't even want to say gateway game because it's not a game to, oh, get people into the hobby. It's just a great time. You can yeah. play this with anybody. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's, I, I admittedly haven't played any of the expansions yet, Doug, because this base game has just been enough. Yeah, but once those slamming deals happen, I got my eye out. I might start well, to I, add some of the expansions. Well, over and the time nice here. thing is that none of them are expansions; they're all standalone games. Okay, okay. So they're all they're all variations it's on its own the, board. And, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, my number one, uh, Michael had as his number five, which is Ticket to Ride, published in two thousand and four, and it is the two thousand and four Spiel des Jahres winner, published or designed by Alan R. Moon. I mean, this is a classic. The number of variations on the game uh, with the the Ticket to Ride New York, the Ticket to Ride. I mean, I know that's not the one that won, but the the London spawned an entire franchise um, that shows up in Targets and Walmarts, and it's everywhere. That I feel like this to me is kind of that quintessential Spiel des Jahres winner, and certainly when you're talking about a game schooling. Uh, arena this game is so strong on so many different levels that's why we covered it as our second game yeah in the podcast is it's got geography it's got you know resource management set collection tactical thinking long-term strategy there's so much in this game that i had to put this one at number one Um, and certainly there were a lot of other other great games that that didn't make the list yeah, it's interesting. You went number one for the game schooling, and I went number one almost for the family aspect. Sure. But you combine them together. How? I don't know if you can poke holes in any of the games on our list. I mean, they're no. Yeah, I mean, it's and, tough and, when they're the and game when, of the year. Yeah, when something wins the Spiel des Jahres, I mean, every once in a while there's there's a clunker, but most of the time they're pretty spot on with that family weight 
weight game. I mean, I had Catan as a uh, honorable mention. I put Micro Macro as a Crime City as an honorable That's mention. That's my honorable mention. Um, but didn't put it on there just because I feel like it works best with two players. Is not that full family experience. And then Camel Up and Carcassonne, uh, two more great games that won the Spiel des Jars that didn't make it on the list. So what about Hanabi? Have you, that's on my want to playlist. Antoine Bowser's. I have played that. Yes. Okay. I, and I don't know if I have it anymore. If if that okay. gives you an it indication, it, it's a it's a good experience. It's just not a, a game that I enjoy okay. personally that much. There's one more that's I have two on my honorable mention. There's one more I thought you would have brought it up actually. Code names. Yep. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we could go on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I thought it was funny that the four games that I had on honorable mention all had a, a prominent C, which is Catan, Crime City, Camel Up, Carcassonne, and you mentioned code, code names. names. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but maybe the the uh, <laughs> Spiel de Jars jury appreciates that, the that consonant. Yeah. So... That is our high five Spiel de Jars games, and that's going to wrap it up for us this week on the podcast. I uh, just want to thank everybody for listening. Reminder to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. I think that's live. We may have videos coming out on there shortly. Soon. If not. Uh, so check that out. Again, email us at email at gameschooler.com if you have questions gameschooler.com you got contact forms everything reach out we want to hear from you and again thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us we appreciate it now get out there and keep game schooling <laughs>